Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. You know, I feel a little weird about all these Thursday games that the Buffalo Bills have been in recently, because not only has my podcast dropped the same day as a Buffalo Bills game for the last two weeks. Now, my podcast drops at a time when most people are completely over the Patriots game and are moving on to the Jets. So it puts me in this weird scenario, but you know what? I will stand firm. I will build my house on the solid rock. And we're going to do the same thing we always do. We're going to talk about the narratives from last game. We're going to talk about some narratives that have been buzzing around Bill's Mafia recently. And we're going to start off with the news that broke a few hours before I recorded this podcast. And that is that during exploratory surgery, Bill's edge rusher Von Miller was found to have had a torn ACL and he will be out for the season. Given the late nature of this particular injury, it also puts into question whether he will be available at the beginning of next season. Now, I know that a lot of Bills fans are probably feeling fairly down right now, but this is the way that I view this. The Bills were a Super Bowl contender in 2021 even after they lost star cornerback Tredavious White to a torn ACL suffered in November. The Bills are a Super Bowl contender in 2022, even after they lost star edge rusher Von Miller to a torn ACL, you guessed it, suffered in November. I am not saying that the loss of Von Miller will not be meaningful. I think a lot of people were hoping he would be back in maybe a month. Maybe help the Buffalo Bills make a playoff run. I know specifically you're thinking about a potential rematch with the Kansas City Chiefs. The team that, by many a narrative, Von Miller was brought in to help the Bills beat. And a team that Von Miller played meaningfully against earlier in 2022. But... The Buffalo Bills have not crossed the threshold where they are no longer a Super Bowl contender. We've talked about Super Bowl contendership a lot on this podcast. We've talked about that the Bruce definition of a Super Bowl contender is a team that if they win the Super Bowl, the narrative will not immediately be, the low-hanging fruit will not immediately be, wow, they really, uh, they did it. Nobody thought they could do it. What an underdog story. Nobody thought they could do it, but they did. That's crazy. There is no question in my mind that the Bills were a better Super Bowl contender before the Von Miller injury. More talent is better than less talent. But the Bills are still a Super Bowl contender. 
it's going to be more difficult. There is no question. I don't think it can be argued any other way. But I don't think it's a deal breaker. In fact, if you make an argument that now without Von Miller, the Buffalo Bills do not have a reasonable claim to being the best team in the NFL. I would counter that by saying that the best team in the NFL doesn't win the Super Bowl every year. In fact, I would argue that the best team in the NFL frequently does not win the Super Bowl. In many people's eyes, the Bills versus Chiefs game in the divisional round of the AFC 2021 playoffs was a game between the two best teams in the NFL. Even though the Chiefs then went on to lose to the Cincinnati Bengals in the next AFC playoff game, who then went to lose to the Los Angeles Rams in the Super Bowl. The best team doesn't always win the Super Bowl. But you try and be as good as you can for as long as you can, and you hope you get lucky. And the Bills are still good enough to win the Super Bowl. I don't know if they will, but they absolutely can. And to me, that's really all I need to not wallow in self-pity, drink myself to sleep tonight. Could they before? Yes. Can they now? Yes. Is it the same probability? No, probably not. But I accept a little bit of randomness in my results anyway. I just understand that. I don't get too rigid with my probabilities. That's why we use phrases like highly improbable, somewhat improbable, somewhat probable, highly probable on this podcast. Because we recognize that there are no 0% and there are no 100% in football. We don't deal in absolutes. We deal in probabilities. And although I recognize that the probability may be lesser that the Buffalo Bills win a Super Bowl this year, I still think that this team is good enough to do it. They certainly invested in that position a lot. A.J. Epinesa, who we'll talk about later. Boogie Basham. I talked about Shaq Lawson on buffalorumblings.com not too long ago. And how he was having a bounce back year after a down year with New York Jets. The Bills can do it. Will they? I have no idea if they will. But all that I need to prevent myself from spiraling is the idea that they can. I'll tell you one thing I really can't get my head around that much. I can't get my head around the Kyir Elam healthy scratch. Jay Skursky, Buffalo News, indicated that his sources were telling him that Kyir Elam, Buffalo Bills' first-round cornerback out of the University of Florida, who they traded up to get, Kyir Elam was a healthy scratch. After not being listed on the injury report last week, he was a healthy scratch against the Patriots. Lots of things have spun out of this deactivation. And some people have asked me, probably because I was a cornerback in the first round guy, they have asked me, Bruce, what do you think about the Kyrie Elam deactivation? Are you ready for my entire conclusion? about the Kyrie Elam deactivation. This is an incredibly scientific response I'm about to give you. I don't know. 
don't know. You can't see me, but I'm shrugging right now. I don't know. I got nothing for you. I went back and I watched all of his 21 snaps against Detroit. I was looking for specific deficiencies that I thought may cause the Buffalo Bills to want to deactivate him the next week. I don't think him being inactive is because he played poorly versus the Lions. I was overall pleased with it. I was happy with what I saw. And I've been overall pretty happy with the play of Kyrie Elam this year. In his second snap against Detroit, he had a corner route against inside leverage. It was single high man. And it was from a condensed split. Which means DJ Chark has all the room in the world to operate. And Elam was still in his back pocket. There was another rep where he kind of didn't get a good press. Tried a double hand press. Didn't work. But he has recovery speed and was able to stay with his receiver down the field. There was a third rep where he was in bail technique, man coverage, covering it over and absolutely took it away with the speed. Just flipped the switch and closed right on it. Shut the door on the possibility of that over route. There was another one where DJ Chark had Elam so tight in his back pocket that he actually stumbled and fell over. There was one rep where Khalif Raymond went into motion and made it a bunch formation. So a banjo call got made. Banjo is a switch technique for man coverage. It's to prevent you from getting picked off during bunch formations. Elam was a little bit slow there. Taron Johnson and Kyrie Elam kind of swapped men. But overall, I was really pleased with what I saw from Kyrie Elam. The one thing that I will note is that the Buffalo Bills blitzed Jared Goff 43.7% of the time. And that forced a lot more man on the back end. A lot of Elam snaps were in man coverage. It might just be a we don't trust him in his own heavy game plan right now. Again, this is important. I am theorizing. Because the next week against the Patriots, the Buffalo Bills blitzed Mac Jones 7.9% of the time. After blitzing Jared Goff 43.6% of the time. Bills were not blitz heavy. Bills ran a lot more zone against Mac Jones. And a lot more man against Jared Goff. If I am theorizing, and that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm just spitballing based on some anecdotal evidence. It might be a situation where if you're going to have a zone heavy game plan, you might trust Xavier Rhodes, the zone corner, more than you trust Kyrie Elam, the press man corner, who's a rookie and is coming back from an injury just recently. Well, Bruce, why didn't you track the man snaps to confirm? Because it would be way too small of a sample size even if I went and got that information. Way too small of a sample size to confirm any conclusion. I'm theorizing only, and it's very important that I say that so I'm not being irresponsible because I don't know the answer. I started off this conversation by going, eh, 
have a theory, but that's all it is, a working theory. I can't confirm it because Sean McDermott's not going to tell me. Instead, he said, I wanted to see what we had in Xavier Rhodes. Leslie Frazier echoed it. We wanted to see what we had in Xavier Rhodes. Xavier Rhodes has been in the league for a long time. He's been in practice. You probably know what you have in Xavier Rhodes. Maybe they just don't want to say, we trust Xavier Rhodes, the veteran, in zone more than Kyrie Elam at this point. They don't want to say that. And I understand why they don't want to say that. So I'm not even mad. It's just weird. That's it. I'm not throwing a fit. It's just weird. If it continues, three games is a trend as we know. If it continues, my concern will start to pop up. But for right now, file it under W for weird. And that's about it. We're going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about both of the significantly high-profile defensive additions that were made to the Buffalo Bills this past offseason. Von Miller and Kair Elam, one of whom is not quite having the on-field experience that a lot of people would have hoped, and the other one who's not going to have any further on-field experience for the remainder of the 2022 season. But now, I want to tell you a story about something I stumbled across. Because sometimes I come into the idea of a podcast, and I start to dig in, and it just morphs into something completely different. So I was researching some ideas for this podcast, and I was cobbling together podcast ideas, article ideas. And I stumbled across two metrics, two metrics about Bills players that I would consider to be eyebrow raising, but for different reasons. I decided that I would tweet both of those statistics out in the same evening and I would pay attention very closely to the responses. I would pay attention to the engagement. I would pay attention to the quality of the engagement. Obviously, I would mute people who were nasty with the responses. But I would make specific note of the way people responded about the player now versus the narrative on that player prior. Because both of the eyebrow-raising statistics that I saw were players who were notable in the New England Patriots game, but again, for different reasons. It's the trickle effect of recency bias. So instead of the podcast topic, the podcast segment being about the statistics, it's now going to be about the reaction to the statistics. Now, what I'm going to do is I am going to read you two facts. Don't think about the facts too deeply right now. Just take note and be cognizant of your immediate emotional response to these statements. Fact number one. James Cook is seventh in the NFL in yards per carry at 5.4. Fact number two. A.J. Epinesa has a 63.6% 
missed tackle rate in 2022. I hope I gave you enough time after each one of those statements for you to kind of feel the way that they resonate with you. For the Cook stat, before the Patriots game, the narrative was he needs more touches, but the coaching staff won't use him. After the Patriots game, it's he should be the lead guy. When you look at A.J. Epinesa, before the Patriots game, he's invisible. He's been a bust. He's been disappointing. He hasn't lived up to his second round investment. After the Patriots game, it was, he was great against the Patriots. Why are you being so negative, Bruce? Bruce, it's such a small sample size. He's only attempted 11 tackles. He's missed seven, but he's only attempted 11. A.J. Epinesa, the guy who we're claiming we have sample size problems with, has played more snaps than James Cook from a percentage standpoint in 2022. He's had more opportunity to make an impact. But not a single person offered sample size as a concern when I mentioned that James Cook was seventh in the NFL in yards per carry. Nobody put the foot on the brakes and said, well, we should be cognizant of sample size. But when A.J. Epinesa was brought up, then we should be cognizant of sample size. It's interesting because our reaction to facts in sports is based largely on the context in which we place them. We are handed a book and we must place it on a shelf that we've already built. But the context in which we place them is based on our mood at the specific time of the receipt of the fact. We talk about recency bias a lot when it comes to our opinion of players in the NFL. And we try and stay away from it by incorporating rules to help govern ourselves. Like three games is a trend, for example. That would be an example of a rule designed to fight against recency bias. But recency bias isn't just an issue because it causes us to swing left and right and swing left and right. It means that we block out information that doesn't align with our recency bias. It's the trickle effect of recency bias. It doesn't just impact our ability to be objective about a player or a coach or a team in the NFL. It doesn't just affect your ability to be objective in that moment. It affects your ability to absorb new information because you reject information that doesn't align with your most recent opinion of the player, team, coach, whatever it is. Which means then recency bias gives rise to more recency bias. Because while you were in that middle, while you were stuck in the quagmire of recency bias, you weren't absorbing any new information because you were blocking all the information out that didn't align with your previous thoughts. And so because you weren't absorbing that, you were not now well equipped for when the pendulum swung the other direction. You weren't insulated against the swing because while you were on one side, you were ignoring the other side. And while you're on the other side, you're ignoring the first side. And so recency bias becomes cyclical 
in nature. It is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I would have said that James Cook was seventh in the NFL in yards per carry after he didn't have a good game, what do you think the responses would have looked like? If I would have said A.J. Apinesa had a 63.6% missed tackle rate three weeks ago, what would the response have been? I suspect very different. Both those players had good games against the New England Patriots. The responses to the facts about them were very, very different. And so I'm going to try to listen. When my heels are dug in and I feel strongly, I'm going to try and listen. When the offseason comes around and I feel really strongly about a prospect, I'm going to try and listen. Because then I will be well prepared for when the data changes, when the experience changes. Because I will remember that. I will have absorbed that data. I won't be starting from square one all over again. When Josh Allen became really good, I was ready. Because when Josh Allen was not really good, I was still listening. I just need to make sure I'm doing that in other aspects. And I'm not allowing recency bias to not only creep in, in the sense that it will cause me to maybe overreact, But also, I will not allow recency bias to then give rise to more recency bias. I found that absolutely fascinating. I was so grateful that both of those tweets got meaningful engagement. Because otherwise, you know, if I have 500 followers on Twitter, I can't do that. I can't do things like that and get the sample size of responses. One of the greatest things about having followers on Twitter is sample size. So I can test things out. I can see how the public reacts to one thing versus another thing. So thank you. If you were one of the people who responded, if you were one of the people who shared, I really appreciate it. I'm able to acquire data that is valuable and have entire podcast segments specifically because people choose to engage. So thank you. We have plurality pie to get to for Bills Patriots. Tremaine Evans, 13%, having the absolute best year of his career. I do not think it is a coincidence that he is having the best year of his career with Daquan Jones in front of him. We talked a lot about this this offseason. I was pounding the table when the Buffalo Bills signed Daquan Jones that it could potentially unlock Tremaine Evans. And I think we've seen the best year of his career. Ken Dorsey, 13%. I really appreciated the offensive game plan from Ken Dorsey. We saw a lot of pony backfield, a lot of early down runs, which I'm normally not in favor of. But I have been saying that you need to try to make the job a little bit easier for Josh Allen. This is one of the ways you can do that. Running when they don't expect you to run, especially if you're getting effectiveness. And it's not like the Buffalo Bills were consistently ripping off 16 yards but they weren't losing three. And that matters. They were staying on schedule, which is good. Negative plays can kill a drive because for every negative play, it necessitates the creation of an explosive play. Explosive plays are great. Explosive plays because you need them, because you've backed yourself up, is bad. The ability to get a third and 12 is awesome. The necessity to get a third and 12 stinks. 
Nobody wants to be required to get in third and 12. It's just nice to have it. And one of the ways in which you can be forced to need to get a third and 12 is to get stuffed for a two-yard loss on first and 10. But the Buffalo Bills, while they didn't break massive amounts of long runs, they didn't have significantly negative plays in the run game either. So good for Ken Dorsey. James Cook, 11%. We talked about it already. I have questions as to whether or not James Cook is going to be a lead back, whether he profiles as that kind of guy. But if he can profile as one half of a rushing tandem, I'm good with that. I said Cook Hines, 2023. I'm good with that. Cook Hines, 2023. If you want to have those be your first and second running backs, I'm fine with that. Split at 50-50. Just down the middle. Stephon Diggs, 11%. He shows up on this list almost every single week. There's a reason for that. He's him. Josh Allen, 10%. Again, a little bit more of a passenger than he has been historically. But all the people who said Josh Allen was a huge percentage of the offense and they didn't like that, they probably liked the New England game. The defensive ends, I know, I'm cheating a little bit. Lawson, Rousseau, Epinesa, Basham. 10% for the group of them. For getting good pressure on Mac Jones without Von Miller. Jordan Poyer, 8%. Other, 24%. By the way, I still think that was a catch for Jordan Poyer. When you're falling out of bounds, based on the rule book, you do not have to survive the ground. So, I was frustrated at that. Let's go to emails. David says, Bruce, the O-line is banged up. It seems to me Singletary is still running well. Do you think the O-line is still run blocking okay or has Singletary stepped up a bit? I think the offensive line was better against the Patriots than it has been. That's been my opinion. They were getting pushed in the run game. And that's not something I historically say about the Buffalo Bills. They got pushed in the run game. They got pushed in the run game against Detroit too. I think the offensive line is blocking a little bit better. Evan says, with the shine of Mike White dulling even faster in 2022, the Jets come into New York State for the first time this season, and Mike White throws five picks. Trey White, Elam, Poyer, Edmonds, and Groot all get picks, with Kair Elam getting his first career pick six. Josh Allen's going to continue to take profits when he can, and Kenny continues to let James Cook. Bills win 35-10. to Miami loses again. So does Kansas City. I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't be mad. I'd be okay if that was the result of the games this week. I'd be all right with it. I don't think I would write any nasty letters to anybody. I certainly wouldn't knock a sandwich out of anybody's hand. Wouldn't do that. Wouldn't mess with a teleprompter to cause people to say bad things. Nah, I would never do that. I would much rather do stories about blood drives and gigantic cookies. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. <laughs>